All right. All right, here we are. Happy Thursday, everybody. It's that time again. It's, uh, this is the Pristine Grace Podcast, and I'm your host, Brandon Craft. And today is January 23rd, 2020. All right. And we are broadcasting live to the internet, including Facebook and Sermon Audio from St. Louis, Missouri. And if you're interested in chatting with folks during this live stream, head on over to the Pristine Grace Facebook page to catch this feed. I know there are a lot of people that catch it on the Sermon Audio, but uh, hey, if you want to, if you want some running commentary while I chat, head on over to Facebook. I, I'm surprised I haven't seen Gabe. Gonzalez in in the in the chat. Uh, he's the one who really provides most of the uh, commentary. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So uh, we've got snow and ice outside right now too. We're getting that winter weather here in the Lou. For those that don't know this, a lot of people around here call St. Louis the Lou. All right. But here in the Lou, it's dark, snowy, and it's pretty scary out there on the roads with all the crazy drivers. But we're used to it here. And uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. This week, our brother Tim Pinnell posted his very first video to his Facebook wall. And I thought it was excellent. And he has also graciously agreed to allow me to use his videos on the website and the sermon audio page. I, I hope he's coming out with more videos. <laughs> and uh, he gave a good message on rejoicing in the truth. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and then he ended the message with a song. Uh, it was, in my opinion, it was a good good message, and if you haven't had the opportunity to see it, I would recommend you go check it out, and then send him some comments of encouragement. All right? And, uh, you know, and speaking of encouragement, I want to say thanks to all of you out there, all the folks out there who've reached out to me and sent me notes of encouragement. Especially you, Julie, this week. Uh, I hope you're feeling better now, but uh, I want to thank you for being a good friend to me. James, uh, James Tippins there, and Gabriel, thanks for your advice. And uh, thanks go out to one of my pastors, Drew. I go to two churches regularly. Drew down in southern Missouri. I want to thank him for his advice and encouragement. And I just want to let you know that I, I, I really do need to hear from all of you. Your advice and encouragement is very much appreciated. And, uh, wow, last week's uh, message on sovereign reprobation was off the charts. It was popular on Sermon Audio. I don't, I don't know why either. For some reason, that, that uh, was really popular. There, there were over 500 downloads of that thing. I mean, I got honors. I got Sermon Audio honors for that message. And, and you know, I've... I don't like to brag or anything, but I've listened to my messages, and that one that one was not one of my best. <laughs> uh, and I'm, They're not all that good, but uh, I would put that lower down on the list of rankings as far as my opinion of my own work. And that was the most popular one. I don't know why. I can't explain it, but it just took off like that. And uh, for, you know, 500 downloads, that's a crazy amount of people of people to be listening to, to, to me, you know, a little of me. I'm I'm just a goofy guy with a webcam and a website. <laughs> uh, 
Anyway, uh, a couple of folks who never heard me before somehow got this message, got sent this message on Sovereign Reprobation and this website. And I even had a phone conversation with a brother out there in California. So it was nice to make those uh, acquaintances. And so if you're out there listening, John, it was nice to talk to you on the phone uh, yesterday. And uh, thanks again for reaching out. And I look forward to further fellowship with you. And uh, folks, please... Please don't, like I said, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I love talking to you, all of you, all of you fellow believers especially, that live all over this world, this uh, this earth, whether it's flat or round, it doesn't matter to me, okay? <laughs> it's, uh, such, it's such a privilege and a joy to be able to interact with you, and uh, so thank you so much, and I really do mean that. All right, moving on now, and uh, for some reason or another... I've uh, established a pattern of providing two different items of discussion in these podcasts. I don't know why that is or how it even got started, but uh, that's the pattern there is there out there for me. And, uh, of course, you know, I have the main message, which is what I normally name the podcast for. And then I have this little pre-message message. <laughs> so here's the pre-message part. I'm going to go ahead and get started with it. And... Uh, this pre-message, if you will, is about serving, okay, service, serving in the kingdom, all right? And like Tim in Georgia, we all have been given gifts in God's kingdom, all right? We've been endowed with gifts from above, and some have been given the ability to teach, others have been given the gift of building things, building stuff like houses or even buildings, you know, but uh, some can even build websites and computer programs, others can write books, others have been given so much love for the sheep and the ability to pastor and guide folks along their journey, and uh, even some people have been blessed with a lot of monetary abundance, so much so that they can give a lot of money to help fund the service of the saints. And, but the thing is, if you're a believer, you've been given something. And it doesn't matter who you are or what your circumstances are. You can do something in, in the service of the kingdom. And I want to encourage you in that. If you're a believer, I believe you have been called into service. So please answer that call. And when you do serve... Don't, don't expect anything in return other than joy and happiness in our Lord. Don't expect to be paid uh, or receive uh, financial, financial compensation for your efforts in the Lord. Because you serve because you have a burden, all right? And your burden isn't the need of money, all right? You, it's, not the, it's not a need to see folks converted either yet. I mean, that's nice, but uh, you, you may never see anyone convert to the truth for your efforts, but but you don't, it's not why you're serving. You serve because you love the truth, all right? And you know what? You're going to enjoy serving because you love the truth. You'll be glad to spend the rest of your life serving the saints in whatever, the capac whatever capacity the Lord has for you. you. You know, it could even be just raising your kids in the care and admonition of the gospel, or simply sending notes of encouragement to other servants like yourself, 
or sending a card, you know, to a, a sick believer, somebody who's suffering from many afflictions. But, uh, you know, I, I do enjoy serving in, in the Lord's kingdom and and the work he's had for me, I, I've loved it so much. And I, I've enjoyed answering that call. And sometimes I wonder if I've even answered it enough, if I'm not doing enough uh, that I should be doing. But uh, what I have been doing, I really have enjoyed. So please answer that call. All right. Please serve. Oh, one more thing. If when you do answer that call to serve, don't expect everyone to like you either. All right. And oh boy, I've I've had to learn this the hard way over and over and over again. I like to be liked. I don't I don't like to be hated or disliked. Yeah. I don't like it when people take their ball and don't want to play with me. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, the simplicity of Christ is not a popular message. People, you know, will dislike you for all kinds of reasons, too. You know, for example, some people dislike you just because you believe in some things that are good and you, you believe there are some things that are good and you believe also that some things are evil. And, you know, isn't that the case in today's world, in, in, in this country, in America, you know, and throughout the world? Sexual purity, for example, is considered to be a bad thing. Yeah. Sexual promiscuity and baby murder and even homosexuality is celebrated as a good thing, and uh, what the teachers, what the what the scriptures teach, is considered as evil. So, you know, just identifying as a believer in the Bible makes some people angry with you. Don't let that bother you. All right. Uh, others like their doctrine of free willism, you know, or man-centered theology, and they don't like the doctrine of sovereign grace. And that means some people aren't going to like it. For that reason as well, because you're a sovereign gracer. Okay, you love free grace. But don't, you know, people don't like you because of that. Don't let that bother you either. And then there are others that love to hide themselves with gospel language. They like to use sovereign grace language as a way to judge others. They turn, so they, they turn sovereign grace gospel language into a religion of self-righteous judging. And I've been kind of ranting about that lately. You know, they boast about their beliefs and how they're different from others. And then they use their supposed differences to figuratively pound others over the head. You know, I just this week I got judged very harshly from someone who uses gospel language. Because I didn't toe the line perfectly with them on their tests of orthodoxy. You know, in this case, it wasn't even over doctrine, but not joining them in their judging of someone who has been dead for hundreds of years. All right. And this person wasn't even interested in what I had to say. And even defriended me and my wife on Facebook as well for being, she was, she was defriended for being married to me. All right, folks, that's not the gospel. Okay, that's not the truth. And if you, and if you say that, oh, you're going to get it. <laughs> All right, it bothers me and I know it shouldn't, but it does. But if you're called to serve, you, you may get it too. Don't let it bother you. Don't be like me. Just shake the dust from your feet and, and, and kind of move on, all right? Keep on serving your brothers and sisters. Keep on preaching the truth. Keep on loving each other and loving the Lord. And even love those who malign and abuse you. Pray for them, all right? And the reason I'm telling you all this is because I need to preach to myself. I need to hear that, all right? So I'm preaching it to you so I can hear it myself, all right?
<laughs> so uh, anyway, I know that's probably a selfish reason, but uh, hey, I'm sorry. All right, and that's about all I have for the pre-message message. <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and get into the meat of today's message. All right, the will of God. All right, and we've been uh, working on this series of hyper-Calvinism. I call it hyper-Calvinism is the truth series. And, uh, you know... I've gone through several messages on on doctrines that will get you labeled as a hyper-Calvinist. And uh, so I'm keeping with that. And, uh, you know, the big question I'm, I'm dealing with today is, how many wills does God have? Okay. And that's the title of the message of today as well. How many wills does God have? And yes you will probably be called a hyper-Calvinist by somebody out there if you answer this question correctly. All right. Now, I'm just going to go straight out there and tell you what the simple answer. The simple answer is there's only one will of God. Okay. God has one will. He has one purpose. He is in one mind and purpose. And he always gets what he desires or wants because he purposes exactly what it is that he desires. But the vast majority of people who claim to be Christian will deny this. All right? They claim that God doesn't always get what he wants. Take, for example, the free willer. As a free willer, all right, I was, I was a free willer for a good chunk of my life. Since, since let's see, it wasn't until I was about uh, mid-20s that I got converted to the truth. As a free willer, I thought God wanted everyone to be saved. All right, that he died for everyone because he wanted to save everyone. And I was so frustrated. I was extremely frustrated when people did not desire to accept his gift of salvation. All right, I thought you could accept it. All right, and in this religion, this free willism, uh, adherents like, like me at the time, uh, you know, we believed in a God that does not get what he wants or desires. All right. There are multiple wills of God, of this God that they worship. You know, um, this, this God of theirs has multiple wills. One whose will desires that everyone be saved, and another will that chooses people to be saved based upon their free will choice. I don't understand it. It's complicated. But it, it, their God is double-minded. Okay, it's just very confusing. And uh, that's the free willers out there. But then there are others out there that, you know, seemingly at first have a better grasp of the scriptures. And they affirm God's sovereign election and his sovereignty in salvation. All right, they'll affirm that. And then they go and claim that God did indeed purpose to have an elect people in Christ, but then they also go and preach an offer that desires that all men exercise a duty to savingly believe the gospel, duty faith, if you will, all right? God desires all men to be saved, is what they would say. This is another scenario where their God does not get what he wants, ultimately, 
Okay, God simply cannot have that which he desires. Okay, this is the picture they paint. In my reality, the sovereign, the so-called sovereign grace view of, uh, of God that doesn't get what he wants is not much different, if at all, from free willism. All right, the free willer preacher and the sovereign grace offer preacher believe pretty much in the same type of God. One that does not get that which he desires. In essence, it's the same God. And that's God with a little g, not a capital G. <laughs> Alright, and folks, this is just downright scary to me. This is, this is terrifying to me. You know, I've been in their shoes, worried about tomorrow, about what might happen. If, you know, if God doesn't get what he wants, what guarantee is there that you are saved? What if you're just one of the people he wants to save, but you haven't been sufficiently converted or whatever? It's up to you. Where's your assurance? What if a plane falls out of the sky and lands on your house and kills you tonight? Well, God obviously didn't want that to happen. He wanted you to be saved. Oh, you think he purposed that plane crash? What, what in the world are you telling me? You know, it's confusing, isn't it? All right, and and folks, that that that's simply just that's just a short scenario that describes kind of what the terror that the unbelieving world lives in. You know, they believe in a God that doesn't get what it is that He desires. When death and destruction occur around them, they think it's God not getting what He wants. They pray for someone to save them, for someone to save them from their the seemingly random events that occur, and. I'm not going to go into the into those details of these events in this message. This is only the first message on the will of God, and I'm only addressing the number of wills that he has. All right? So, but if, if you believe that God doesn't get what he wants, then, then you believe there are two wills of God. All right? Now, I do admit that there are commandments from God. That, you know, that's often called the preceptive will of God as revealed in God's law, whatever covenant that law may be, all right? I'm not going to get into that either, all right? And for, for the purposes of this message, I'm not going to count that as a will of God. I'm talking about the so-called permissive will of God and how that differs from the decretive will of, of God or his will of purpose, all right? So the, so the question is, is, does God allow anything, you know? What about those passages and scriptures that seemingly show that he does? Is it possible that God is only appearing or showing himself with human attributes? Anthropomorphism, if you will? Look, I, I'm not really going to argue about the number of wills with anyone. The ultimate question is this. Does God get what he wants? Does God get what he desires? Is there something that God desires that he does not get? That is the question. Alright? And I want to go to the scriptures and try to answer that for you tonight. And folks, don't, don't just walk away from this podcast and say, Oh, well, Brandon said it, therefore I believe it. No, I want you to dig in and study this on your own. Because these are only introductory uh, messages. These are not really in-depth. I mean, I'm just scratching the surface here. All right. So let's go to Revelation 4:11.
And you don't have to turn there because I'm just going to read it to you so we can move this this podcast along because I know people are limited on time. Thou art worthy, O Lord. This is Revelations 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. All right. So we can see right here that God has made all things. Why? Well, the scriptures just answered it right there. Because he wanted them for his pleasure. It pleased the Lord to make them. Okay, that's what it says. Revelations 4.11. Thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. I don't think you can get more plain than that, but let's go on. Okay. We're going to go to Psalms. I'm gonna, we're going to skip around here. In, in Psalms, the Bible says that whatever the Lord pleased, he did. It's another way of saying that God gets what he wants, that which pleases him. All right, Psalms 11, 115, verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Whatever he pleased, he's done. Whatever that he's desired, he's done. All right, from his perspective. Psalms 135, verse 6. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that he did, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all the deep places. Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that he did. Okay, that did he. <laughs> Daniel 4.35 And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of this earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Oh my. <laughs> the Lord doeth according to his will in heaven and on earth. Who can say, what doest thou? Wow. Those words are powerful. Simply powerful. All right? How many professing Christians are out there asking, what doest thou? Yeah, I don't see too many. Many are out there screaming, thou wouldst do it. Thou wouldn't do it. God wouldn't do that. That would make him the author of sin. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing today. I'm not hearing what doest thou. But my Lord doeth according to his will. I'm going to keep it in the King James here. He doeth. Okay? His desire, his purpose, he is one in mind. All right? Let's keep going. Isaiah 46, verse 9. Okay, we're going to read a few verses here. If you want to turn with me there, you can't. Isaiah 46, verses 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, Yea, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I will also do it. I will do all my pleasure, and I will bring it to pass because I have purposed it. Alright, one will of God, not multiple wills there. He is one, He's in one mind, and he doesn't desire something that's 
That's opposite of his will of purpose. All right? This is basic, folks. All right? His counsel shall stand, and he will do all his pleasure. Our Lord in heaven has declared the end from the beginning. The uh, scriptures couldn't be any more clear on this. There is only one will, one purpose, one desire of God. And if I, if I sound like I'm repeating, that's because I am. <laughs> that's because if you sit in churches across this land, you know, this earth, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to hear something different preached. You will hear of a poor God that doesn't get what he wants, one who cries in anguish. He has divine tears of sorrow for things that don't go the way he wants them to go. That's what you're going to hear. All right? That's what I heard growing up. That's what I heard in all, these, in all the churches I attended growing up. Oh, it's so awful. Poor God can't get what he wants. All right? And if you're in these churches, there's no rest for you. There's no contentment. There's only fear. All right? Or you have a false assurance and you're just completely blind and deluded, you know. You know. But I know a lot of these folks are sitting there in fear. Because I'm, I remember being a free willer just scared to death. Brandon, they might say, well, if what you say is true, that means your God's a monster. I've heard this before. All right? It means he's purposed sin because he desires sin. Oh, I got you there. It means God wanted Adam to fall in the garden. It means God wanted me to be born into sin. It means he wanted to send people to hell. It means he wanted the 9-11 hijackers to take that plane and fly it into the two towers. It means that twister that wiped out the count, that town down the street or down the road and killed my grandma, that was something God wanted. It means my best friend's cancer and death was wanted, even desired by God. That makes him a monster. I could never worship a, a God like that, they would say. If God was that way, I'd just soon as be an unbeliever. And I have heard that. All right? And that's what they are, an unbeliever. And an unbeliever they'll remain unless God reveals himself to them. They don't understand the God of Scripture. They worship a figment of their own imagination, a God of their own imagination, one who doesn't get that which he desires, one who does not do as he pleases. All right? That is why this doctrine is so important to understand, to embrace. Okay. It's not about whether there are two wills of God or not. You know, I'm not going to get into that uh, academic debate with you. We're talking about the very nature of the one that we worship. Who are we worshiping? Who is it that saved us? Was it the creator of the universe and that does all that he pleases, that gets all that he desires? Or is it some puny God up there? crying divine tears of frustration when things don't go the way he wants them to go. Free willism and sovereign graver Calvinism has so much stuff that is wrong with it. You know, it, it conditions salvation on the conversion of the individual. And we've already gone into that in depth. But the religion reveals something more basic, something that is deeply wrong with it, and ultimately is a wrong understanding of not just salvation, but of who God is, of what he does, of everything that he purposes or desires and wants. The logical end of all this 
is everything in this world. Everything in this world is the way it is because that's the way God would have it. All right, the God that that God, the God we love and worship, is the God who is absolutely predestined all things. And we're going to get into that more in the next message. So this is kind of like a two-part series in the in the larger part, you know. But I'm st I just wanted to talk about God and His will in tonight's message. So that's so this is the first part, you know. And this this is so simple. It really is. Yeah. When my son Cole, when when he was young, he's 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 sixteen now, almost sixteen. As soon as he could talk and understand things, you know, we were believers when he was born. This is this is what we've taught him. You know, when he was just a just a little baby, yeah, we'd just lay him down to sleep in his crib, and we'd pray with him, and we taught him of a God that gets whatever it is that he wants. You know, that the things that are happening in his life, whatever they may be, are because God wants them to be that way. You know, that God is sovereign. You know, he's in control. He's big. All right, simple concepts. And that we should take comfort in all those things that happen. And, and, you know, as a young child, he understood this stuff. You know, he wasn't, he didn't have a lifetime of bad programming to undo. He just learned it and loved it. Okay? It's not a hard concept. You know, he's grown into, like I said, a 16-year-old teenager today, and he continues to rejoice in the God of Scripture. He's never believed that God's a monster. You know, uh, <laughs> you know when supposed bad things happen to him and the people that he loves, he knows. That, you know, when these things were, were planned for and purposed by God, because this is what is good for him, and good for his people. You know, Romans 8 is very clear on this. In verse 28 it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called, who are called, according to his purpose. How dare anyone call God a monster for desiring the things that are good for his people? How dare anyone complain to God for the things that are in our life? If you're sick and you complain, you're saying that what God wants is not good for you. Alright? And I... And I this is one I'd like you to turn with me in your in your Bibles if you got them with you. Let's turn to Psalms one nineteen. All right, Psalm one nineteen, starting in verse seventy one. Psalm one nineteen seventy one, and we're going to read five passages here, seventy one through seventy five. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, <laughs> that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me, given me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. And they that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. <laughs> Wow. You know, I know, I know. It's a hard place to be. When you're suffering from cancer, or diabetes, or whatever, you know, when you're in the lowest of places, on a bed of sickness, 
death seems to be right around the corner. You know, and you or your loved one is in such despair. But look up. Look up. David here in the Psalms said that he knew that his judgments were right. And that God in his faithfulness had afflicted him. Wow. You know, we could do the same thing too. This wasn't just for David. You know? This is what God has desired for us. For those that he loved. You know, for those that he redeemed in Christ. And every person's story is different. Every person has a different road to travel. You know, and that road has been prepared differently and distinctly for that individual person. These are not the things of a cruel monster, but the loving plan from a kind father for his people that he loves greatly. He has loved you, if you are a believer, if you are one of his elect people, with an everlasting love. And I said this last week, I used this passage last week. And with loving kindness, he has drawn you to him. And in loving kindness, he created you in iniquity. Iniquity. <laughs> tongue t that's a tongue uh, twister there. He created you in iniquity. All right? And he caused you to see your lowly self. Completely incapable of obtaining any righteousness of your own. You know? And he sent you the gospel. And he sent you the Holy Spirit. And he's also ordered your life perfectly in order that you might glorify him and look to and rest solely in him for you, you know, for your everything. God's ultimate desire is to glorify himself in the redemption of his people in Christ. And that's a very good thing. Yet the events that are required to make this happen, the sin that's in, the, in your life, and the evil that happens in this world, the things that seemingly go against his very nature, you know, these things are necessary to bring that about, you know, that redemption and his glory. The very sin that God abhors is necessary for redemption, all right? How can God be glorified in the redemption of people if they weren't sinners to begin with, all right? And we're going to get into this in another message as well. But our Savior's death... You know, including the imputation of our sin to him and his suffering at the hands of evil men. This too was even desired by our Lord. Okay, this is something the Lord wanted to happen. And this this brings me so much joy. <laughs> Isaiah 53.10. Turn there if you will. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, pleased him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased the Lord to bruise our Savior. <laughs> it pleased the Lord to have him born into this sinful world of a virgin, you know, to live that perfect life. And to be betrayed, even be even be betrayed by Judas, and even be whipped and crucified by the evil Roman Empire. You know, those Roman soldiers. This was this was something that pleased the Lord. And all this sin, all these terrible events were pleasing to the Lord because they ultimately result in his glory. 
that's what he ple- that's what pleases him the most. All right. Got in order to get that, all these events have to lead up to that. He had you know he had done all his pleasure. All right, he has done it all, and his ways are not our ways. And uh, here I'm reading from the Arminian heretic John Calvin. <laughs> and I say he's an Arminian heretic because that's what some people are calling him these days. I'm not going to call him that, so I apologize. That was tongue-in-cheek. John Calvin, in his Institutes, wrote about the unitary will of God. All right, And I just I like to read some of it to you before we end today's podcast. All right, and here is here is John Calvin affirming that God gets everything he wants without a contrary desire. All right, and here he is responding to the idea of there being two wills of God. All right, okay, I, w- I want you to see that this is nothing new. What I'm talking about is not new. And what some people call hyper-Calvinism is exactly what John Calvin believed. All right, so this is for them, too. All right, so let's begin. And this is, this is a short quote. I'm not going to go too long. Their first objection is that if nothing happens without the will of God, he must have two contrary wills, decreeing by a secret counsel that he is openly forbidden in this law is, easy, is easily disposed of. All right? But before I reply to it, I would again remind my readers that this cavil is directed not against me, but against the Holy Spirit. Okay, and cavil is another word for argument or quibble. Okay, who certainly dictated this confession to that holy man, Job. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away, Job said. When, after being plundered by robbers, he acknowledges that their injustice and mischief was just was a just chastisement from God. And what says the scripture elsewhere? The sons of Eli, quote, hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them, 1 Samuel 2.25. Another prophet also exclaims, quote, our God is in the heavens, he hath done whatsoever he's, he has pleased. I read that earlier, Psalm 115.3. I have already shown clear in, clearly enough that God is the author of all those things which, according to these objectors, happen only by his act, inactive permission, okay? That's what the objectors say. He testifies that he creates light and darkness, forms good and evil, Isaiah 45, 7. That no evil happens which he has not done, Amos 3, 6. Let them tell me whether God exercises his judgments willingly or unwillingly. As Moses teaches that he who is accidentally killed by the blow of an axe is delivered by God into the hand of him who smites him, Deuteronomy 19.5. So the gospel by the mouth of Luke declares that Herod, and Pontius Pilate conspired to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Acts 4.28 And in truth, if Christ was not crucified by the will of God, where is our redemption? Still, however, the will of God is not at variance with itself. It undergoes no change. He makes no pretense of not willing what he wills, but while in himself the will is one and undivided. To us it appears manifold, because from the feebleness of our intellect, we cannot comprehend how, though after a different manner, he wills and wills not the very same thing. Alright. I don't think you could be any more clear on the unitary will of God. There's only one will of God. 
don't buy into the free will folly of multiple wills or the sovereign graver folly of multiple wills. God will always get that which he desires. He's on the throne and he will have the glory. Amen. And that's all I got. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for listening. Let's see. I want 41 message minutes here. I, okay. I, I hope, you know, I hope this message has been good to you. It's been edifying to you. So, you know, listen to it again if you like. All right. And I, I hope to broadcast again on this series of doctrines that will get you labeled as a so-called hyper-Calvinist. I do love you all. You know, all you, my brothers and sisters out there, have a great day, and I'll see you next time. Grace and peace, and good night.